0: been right for the Word of God incarnate to neglect His mission to wait on tables. He left because He was going to do something so much more than fill our bellies. He came to fill our souls to be the bread of life. And so He taught us that. The Son of Man, He said, did not come to be served, But to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, and that's just what he did. He denied himself and he took up his cross. Think of that. I don't think he looked at it and said, You know, that's what I'm going to be good at. He suffered and it killed him. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Our scripture that we're looking at here uh, comes from Acts chapter six, Here's what Luke writes to us. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered together, all the disciples, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleads the whole group. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is God's Word. My grandpa was a dairy farmer in upstate New York. And I remember one time being out in the pasture, my grandpa opened up a new gate. For the cows. And they stared at it uncomprehendingly. I think it's easy to do that to this story. You read it, you say, It's a management problem followed by a management solution. Good job, church. Move on with your life. See? And you can stare at it like a cow might look at a new gate, uncomprehendingly. We are here in this sermon series. We're moving through the book of Acts. We're doing that, number one, to honor the tradition of the church. The church always reads the book of Acts in the season of Easter to see what life is like with the risen Jesus. Jesus. But number two, we're doing it because peace is going through a small-r resurrection on its own. We're heading towards June 6th. We're heading towards what we've called our Snapback Sunday. We're getting back to life, normal life here at peace. And one of the things that's going to have to happen is we need people for service. This is a story about service. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take it apart. We're going to do it like Luke does it. Luke gives us the problem, and then he gives us the solution. And we're going to do that twice here with Luke. Here's the first problem that we're going to attack. Service that destroys. We've got a big problem on our hands here. We've got widows who are going hungry. See, all of these are Christian people. All of them are Christian people. They're all, by the way, Jews as well. But there were two kinds of Jewish Christians there were those that spoke Aramaic because they had their roots in Jerusalem. And then there were those who spoke Greek because their roots culturally were from all around the world and the latter group of widows was being overlooked in the Jerusalem church. That's sad. It's really sad. Widows, still today, outside of the modern Western world, are some of the most vulnerable people on earth. Still today in some parts of Africa, if you're a woman who loses her husband, you don't just lose your husband, you lose everything. Because the land is given not to the the widow, but to the brother of the deceased. Widows don't just lose their husbands in history. They lose everything. This is a heartbreaking problem. Not only is it a heartbreaking problem, it has vast implications for the credibility of the church. The church had come along and the church had said, everybody is equal because everybody is a sinner who has been saved by the grace of Jesus. And all of a sudden, there's partiality in the church. It's no wonder then, right, that the apostles step up to the plate that the apostles issue the first and only joint apostolic statement in the Bible. There's a technical term here. They're called the twelve. The twelve stop it. This isn't Peter being a spokesman. This is all of them speaking in unison. You can think of it as an apostle's creed. This is their conviction. What do they say? Where do they start? They start with a no. A denial. A we won't. They say it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. It was a denial. It was a no. It was a we won't. That's how they started. Why? There must have been enormous pressure. There must have been enormous pressure for them to stop doing what they were doing to wait on tables. It's a massive temptation. I use that word on purpose. A temptation, by definition, is something that's beautiful. It's alluring. And it's always beautiful and alluring because normally when it comes to a temptation, it is just one step away from the beauty that God wants for us. God wants everyone to receive and give love that is just one small step away from sexual immorality. God wants everyone to have joy, a a light heart, to enjoy his gifts, but that's just one small step away from drunkenness. God wants every widow on earth to have all of the food that she needs, but that is one small step away from destroying the essential mission of the church. So you can call it mission creep. You know, you start out doing one thing, you end up doing another thing. Or you can call it maybe the triumph or the tyranny of the urgent over the necessary. You know how that is? So many urgent things that you got to do, but you forget to do the most important things. We can think about that in our day and age. Commentators are talking about what's called safetyism. This idea that the only thing that matters in human life, is keeping people physically safe to the neglect of people's souls and spirits. The tyranny of the urgent over the necessary. So what do the apostles do? They tee up their first and only joint apostolic statement. And they say this. They say, golden harvest is urgent. But we will not let it cannibalize who we are and what we do. We must deliver the word of God. So the apostles keep the main thing, the main thing. I was reading a, a quote from one of the greatest church fathers who ever preached. His name is John Chrysostom yesterday morning. And I'm thinking about where do the, where do the apostles get this conviction that they put out? Where did they get this? And John Chrysostom, he, he points out that The only backgrounds that we ever get for the apostles, and most of them we don't get, but the only backgrounds we get for the apostles tell us this. They were lowly, lowly men. They were fishermen. Tax collectors. Christian killers. They were lowly men. They all knew what it was like to be hungry. To be spiritually hungry. They knew that what people need most is not a full belly. What they need is a full soul. That's why we have not just an Apostles' Creed, but we also have the Apostles' Creed. Tradition says that we have the Apostles' Creed because each of the 12 apostles contributed one of the 12 major lines in the Apostles' Creed. Now that's just a tradition. But we also know this. The Apostles' Creed, I think is the best summary of what the apostles teach. And do you know what it's full of? Spiritual bread. I want to ask you a question. The Apostles' Creed. Have you ever thought about what's missing in it? There is not one word Not one word about what a Christian must do. It's all spiritual bread. It's all about what God does for you. He's your maker. He brought you into existence to be in fellowship with him. He is your Redeemer. He came, God the Son did, became one of us, see, to bring us back into life with Himself because we fell away into sin. He is the Spirit, the sanctifier in your life. He still moves. He still acts through the gospel in the church. There is somebody here who needs that today. There's somebody here who needs to be reminded that you are not an accident. You are not an accident. You are made, you are created, you are cared for by Almighty God. There's somebody here who needs to hear that their sins are forgiven. That's real. Somebody's here whose heart is full of guilt and shame. Somebody here who needs to know that the Son of God was crucified for you. That your sin was buried in his tomb and that your sin is dead and gone, but you aren't. You are alive with Christ. There is somebody here who has lost hope who is so sad or so anxious inside, you need to know that the Spirit still moves today, that he moves through the gospel and that he moves in the church to comfort you and to drag you, if he has to, all the way to eternal life with Jesus. I want to tell you something. It is not possible to come to peace on a Sunday morning and go home hungry. It's not. First, because we have this thing called the Zacchaeus Fund, which, by the way, we use. Anybody who comes in here who has physical needs, we're going to meet them. Our members are far too generous of people to allow anybody to go hungry. Nobody's going hungry in this church. Second of all, we feed people's souls we know our mission we know that as beautiful as it is as necessary as it is to take care of people's stomachs that there are few things more wicked than filling somebody's soup bowl while leaving their soul famished, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word to wait on tables. There's a problem with service, service can cannibalize your mission. But the second problem is that service itself can be destroyed. The apostles go on with their joint apostolic statement, and they go on like this. They say, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. And we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. I want you to notice two things in the second half of this joint apostolic statement. The first is I want you to notice the process. The church had needs. And then the church was going to meet those needs. It was a church-centered process process the second thing that i want you to notice are the qualifications the qualifications for these men were that they were to be full of the spirit and wisdom they were to be people who you could see had the fruits of the spirit in their life They were to be people who knew how God's world was always designed to work. In other words, they had wisdom. Now, I want to push into that for a second. You might think it should be something different. Like, for example, you might think that the church would follow an individual person-centered process. Hey, Stephen, what do you like to do? That's not how it went. You also might think that they would have followed looking for people's passions. Hey, Stephen, what are you passionate about? Have you been working at Golden Harvest for greater Jerusalem? Neither one. It was a process that was centered on the church where the church made the choice and the individual met the needs of the church. Push into that again. If you're like me, you have heard sermons in Christian churches that say something different. That suggest to you that what you should do in Christian service is pursue your passions. So let's just do that for a second. Play it out. What if every Christian pursued their passions? Play it out. First, there would be a lot of Christians sinning. Check your heart. Isn't it true that there are any number of things in your life that you are passionate about that are, in fact, sinful. Check your heart. This is why Jesus Christ, our Lord, told us. He didn't say, "Go, go pursue your passions. What did he say? He said, no, 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 no. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Okay, so the very first thing we've got to do is, is check our passions at the door. Are they in line with God's will? What if they are? Should we then pursue our passions? Well, let's put this into another context. You're home. You're eating dinner this week. You're a family together. Dinner's over. You look around the table. Mom says, so, who is gifted and passionate tonight to do the dishes. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been a, I can't say I'm a rookie pastor anymore. I've been a long round enough to have the sense that there are some things in my pastoral ministry that I'm never going to hear in my life. This is probably one of them. I doubt that anybody's ever going to come up to me and say, you know, the Bible says, Pastor, that the Holy Spirit gives gifts to his church. I know what mine is. God built me for this. I am passionate for this. Pastor, I was made to clean the church toilets. <laughs> Let's get down to press, press text here. What am I talking about? It's hard enough for us as sinners to care about other people because we're naturally selfish. But what happens in the church is that sometimes this individualistic culture that we live in seeps right into the church. And so then the church ends up telling you what you already want to hear. You pursue you, your gifts, your passions, your whatever, and it becomes about you. So then you come into the church instead of thinking, you know, Jesus appointed me to bear fruit, fruit that will last. I am made to meet needs. And instead of doing that, you come into the church and you say, what am I passionate about? What do I like to do? What am I good at? And it's all about you. And what happens is the church then becomes an extension of you. It's not project church. It's project me. Project self-fulfillment. Project self-development. Project self-growth. And what happens is service is destroyed. Because service becomes something that it's not. It's no longer other fulfillment. It's self-fulfillment. It's no longer, I want to care for other people. Now it's just a way to take care of myself. Of course, the roots of this are a lot deeper than that. A preacher by the name of Jeffrey Davies reminded me of this. He asked a question once in a sermon. He asked the question, what is the American dream? You work hard in high school so you can go to your dream college. You go to your dream college so you can get your dream job. You get your dream job so you can get your dream car, so you can attract your dream spouse. So you can buy your dream house and have your dream 1.7 kids. So you're going to go old together and have your dream white picket fence house, your dream 401k Then have your dream funeral and purchase your dream coffin, and then get placed in your dream hole in the ground. And it's all about you your life, your money, your employment, your cares, your comfort. It's so empty. God, forgive us. I mean it. God, forgive us. I'll go first. So I'm standing on the sideline of my daughter's soccer game Tuesday of this week. I'm standing there with my friend. He's a fellow Christian. He's asking me how pastors... Choose where they're going to serve. He's interested. He tells me his pastor can't hold any pastors at their church. They always leave. They want bigger audiences and more money. God, forgive us. God forgive us. And He does. He really does. At my house, when you go up the stairs to the second floor, you always see something. There's this painting at the top of the stairs, it's Jesus. He's on his hands and knees. He's got Peter's foot in his hands. I'm always thinking to myself, is there camel dung in there? And Jesus is wiping Peter's feet. The servant of us all. That's what Isaiah called him. The suffering servant of us all. Nothing would would stop Jesus from being that for us. Nothing. Where do you think the apostles got this conviction? This utter conviction that the word of life was the most important thing in people's lives. You know where they got it from? They got it from Jesus. Jesus. You know the story. Jesus turned into a soup kitchen. 5,000 men, not counting women and children, were fed. 5,000. And the people came, and what they wanted to do is they wanted to turn him into nothing more than golden harvest. They wanted to come and force him to be their king so they could always give him bread. And you know what Jesus did? He said, no with his life. He said no with his life and he left because it would not have been right for the Word of God incarnate to neglect his mission to wait on tables. He left because he was going to do something so much more than fill our bellies. He came to fill our souls to be the bread of life. And so he taught us that. The son of man, he said, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's just what he did. He denied himself and he took up his cross. Think of that. I don't think he looked at it and said, You know, that's what I'm going to be good at. He suffered and it killed him. God forgive us. And he does through Jesus. but he doesn't just forgive us. He doesn't just free us from the consequences of sin. He also frees us for. I think one of the most important writings outside of the Bible (laughs) is a little tract called The Freedom of the Christian." It's one of a a writing that's so beautiful and so heartwarming that it's quoted across Christian traditions and Christian denominations. And in that writing, Martin Luther summed up the essence of the Christian life. He said this, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. And a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject of all, subject to all. We are freed from from the consequences of our sin, from judgment, from death, so that we are lords and ladies of everything. We are lords of life. We are lords of this earth. Jesus has made us that. We are freed from, but we are also freed for, for each other. I don't want to neglect our 13th apostle today. Do you know what he said about this? He said, and he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Sweet release, you know? What is the most painful thing in your life? You thinking about yourself, that is self-care, self-reflection. Be done with it. Serve the other. Jesus is caring about you. You can just live for him. Peter says the same thing. Peter said this. He said, and you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed, from this empty way of life that your ancestors handed down to you, but with the precious blood of Christ. And he goes on to say this, you were redeemed to love each other. You are freed for by the blood of Jesus We're turning this corner in the life of our church. June 6th, we're calling it our Snapback Sunday. And one of the things that we're going to do starting June 6th is we're going to return to our mission. I'm announcing today that starting in June, we're going to be starting something called Supper and Study. Every Wednesday night, you are going to be welcome to come here and join together. And we're going to be hanging out together, and we're going to be in the Word together. Starting in June, we are going to be giving you the bread of life twice a month. We're not going back to pre-pandemic where we we're doing it once a month. We're going to do it twice a month, communion, twice a month, 9.15 a.m., first and third Sunday. Be there or be square. It is the bread of life. We're returning to our mission. Secondly, I'm announcing this. As we go back to our mission, we need people to serve. So we're announcing an initiative today called One for One. And the slogan works on three levels. You ready? We are asking every communicant member of our church, yes, you're totally off the hook because we love you and we just want to serve you, although you're certainly welcome to jump in. Communicant members, you're on the hook. One for one. We are asking you to commit to serving your church once a month in one specific concrete way. We think if every Communicant member does that, all of the needs in our church are going to be met. One for one. Secondly, it works like this. Whatever you choose to do, do it for others. Do it for others. One for one. And then finally, it works like this. One for that one. Dearly loved... Disciples of Jesus Christ, you have been served by the King. Serve each other for Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. Today in your gospel, we've heard how you are the servant of us all. You humbled yourself even to the point of the cross to have us. Lord, drive that gospel deep into our hearts so we know we're forgiven. And so we're empowered to be servants of each other. Help us like you to live our lives more conformed to you as servants of all. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, I pray.